excited to get involved with River City Church about a year ago when we decided to build a new home in St. Charles County to get closer to family. We were at a worship service at Green Tree one morning, one Sunday morning, and we heard that Green Tree was considering a church plant out in St. Charles County. A couple days later, I came home and I said, you know what I'm thinking? And he goes, yeah, I bet I do. And I go, well, I don't think you know what I'm thinking. And he goes, yeah, I think we're supposed to be a part of that church. That's exactly what I was thinking. Somebody where we were going to church, we heard roundabout through them that Green Tree was going to be planning a church in St. Charles. So it happened at just the right time. I reached out to Jim Schmidt because I knew Jim and Megan were part of Green Tree and said, hey, we've heard that there's going to be a church plant. Jim put us in touch with Brian and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> we have set up every Sunday morning. We have to set up the chairs, the stage, the everything has to be set up. We get there at 7.15. I look forward to it. I don't want to get up that early and go up and do all that work, but my friends are there. And so we spend four hours together setting up and then just visiting with each other and then tearing down. And then oftentimes we'll go to lunch together. That's a pretty intense Sunday morning. You know, I, I like to share with people who are interested in the church plant that in many ways we are on the front line of, of a spiritual battle that's going on. To go and advance the kingdom of God is incredible. To watch God work on the front line, you'll see him work in ways that other people will never get the chance to see. But you also are on the front lines in that you are you are taking assaults and you are, are uh, dealing with difficulties that you probably never would have dealt with otherwise. If I didn't mention my wife, uh, I would be leaving out a huge part of what this whole church plant is about. I get to stand up on Sundays and preach a sermon. I get to be the guy who's in front of the video and not my wife. And yet, there is no bigger participant in this church plant than my wife. Her steadfast love and faithfulness to me in this process has opened my eyes to God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's just been incredible. I think it is clear that there is a need for River City, a place where young families um, and not so young families can come to be a part of a group of Christians who love Jesus where really solid biblical teaching is provided and where there are opportunities to serve and we're already seeing that. When we are there together and we're praising God there is something about that place where it has become a holy place. Really the big picture is then for us, River City Church, to follow in the footsteps of Green Tree and to be a church that partners with them and then, you know, sees where else other churches can go. And you have each church plant uh, now establishing other churches and you watch the kingdom of God grow in that manner. Our kids go to the, the crossing. crossing. We were involved we in were Rivers Riverside. Side. And That's the first involvement with Green Creek was through Riverside. And we did go down in, uh, to the city church a couple times because yeah. Phil is one of the pastors. So we've, been, we've worshipped in all of all the of them. churches. <laughs> and now we're going to be part of River City, so we're excited. Green Tree's mission is to uh, make disciples and plant churches. And, and the leadership's commitment to that mission 
has ultimately led to exactly what we're doing out here in St. Charles. For them to offer leadership, to offer friendship, to offer finances, um, has made all of this, this possible for us to go out there. And so as a result of the commitment to that mission, to the vision that the leadership has, there now exists a church in St. Charles that was not there before. There are people coming to a church in their neighborhood that weren't doing that before. There are people who feel like now they can reach out to their neighbors, invite them to their local church, and they weren't able to do that before. morning. My name's Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. It's good to see all of you this morning. Brian Roskin credited Green Tree uh, for making all that possible. And clearly uh, it is not. It is God who makes all that possible. So uh, lest we give ourselves the glory, I want to make sure immediately we thank him for the opportunity to, to partner with Brian and with their congregation. But uh, what, you, what you saw there was uh, one of the, the passions of Green Tree is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's really cool to, to watch a video like that and, and to see a new work that's beginning. And I know there, there are several, probably over a dozen people, if not a couple dozen people in this room right now, that served over at North Kirkwood Middle School for years on setup and takedown. And I know when you saw that video, you kind of started shaking a little bit and, and, and your eyes maybe started glassing over. But the rest of us who don't ever want to set up or take down anything could misunderstand that. Like they were having a flashback of something bad. They actually miss that. The people that love set up and take down actually miss that. So let me encourage you, if, if you are, are one of our retired set up take down people, I catch them in here every once in a while. They're just moving chairs around to move, to move chairs around. You can, you can go out to St. Charles and spend a Sunday with them occasionally and say, I just missed set up and take down. Can I come, can I come have fun with, uh, with you guys? And they would more than, uh, they'd more than welcome your uh, participation. Let me also invite you to maybe between now and Christmas or maybe between now and you know, before spring break or something like that, take a Sunday. And I know it's a long way away. If you look, kind of live in Kirkwood, Glendale to Perry, you know, it's a long way to go to the north end of Kirkwood. I get it. But maybe take a Sunday and go out uh, and worship with them. And just your presence will encourage them. Just the fact that you would take some time and just go and, and be with them one Sunday would really be a blessing to them. The reason I know that is because I've been involved in church planting for a long time. Uh, and I just spent this last week in Colorado at a conference with all of our EPC church planting pastors. And there uh, we gather, there are about 65 or so folks together. Green, uh, the, our denomination, the EPC, has about 40 active church plants right now, literally from coast to, uh, to coast. And even we have uh, two church plants in the Bahamas. Uh, I'm hoping to get called to one of those churches in about eight <laughs> years. Would be, just, uh, would be just right in my time frame. Uh, but I, I helped... Uh, do some teaching. I did a lot of listening, uh, a lot of lot of praying with these uh, these young men and women who are planting churches. And I led a I led a seminar on uh, Thursday morning uh, on fundraising and how do you how do you support uh, your congregation financially and how do you help your congregation learn that? But also how do you reach out to people outside of your congregation and invite them to invest? Because when you first get started in a church plant. You can't afford it all by yourself. There, there typically are 30 or 40 people, if that many, uh, and they're all giving, and, and as the pastor, you're giving, but that isn't near enough to really make it work financially, so you need to be able to go and to talk to people about money. So I, I was doing this seminar, and I got done, 
And I said, so tell me what's your biggest fear uh, in, in church planting? Not just in what we've been talking about. What, what is your biggest fear in church planting? And they gave me their answers, and that kind of surprised me. So I went and I started doing an informal poll, and I talked to all the church planters and, and spouses that were there, and I asked them the same question. What was, what is your biggest fear? And 100%, okay, there, there, there weren't four or five answers. 100% of them said the same thing, asking for financial support. I said, let me get this straight. The thing that scares you the most is going to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I understand you're not going to non-Christians, right? I get that. You're telling me that going to your brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus and who want to help the kingdom of God grow, and, and we should be the most generous people on the planet, going to them and asking them for financial support, not a handout, but financial investment, that scares you. And to 100% of them said it's what scares us the most, right? Shocking. How can that possibly be? I mean, aren't disciples uh, the folks that love being generous the most? Aren't we the people that have, that have experienced the grace of God to the extent that we can't wait to share with others? We know how God has been generous to us. Or perhaps maybe, just maybe, within the kingdom of God, within Green Tree and, and the greater kingdom of God, there's still room for us to grow in generosity. Over the next, uh, next four Sundays, three of the next uh, four Sundays, we're going to spend some time uh, in God's Word talking about the opportunity to grow in generosity. This morning, we're going to try to lay a bit of a foundation in the way we're going to go about that. So we're going to look at four different verses in four different places in the book of Proverbs. So normally, I, I, I read out of my own Bible. This morning, I'm going to look on the screen because I'm not quick enough to bounce around to each of these verses. Uh, and then we're going to look at four observations, one from each of these particular verses on the opportunity we have to grow in generosity. So the first one is Proverbs 11:25. Solomon writes, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Second verse is out of chapter 14, verse 21 of Proverbs. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Our third one is the same chapter, 10 verses later. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Then the last passage is in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, every uh, disciple in this room has been born again by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. The only way that happened is because your Son, our Lord Jesus, went to the cross for us. He took his perfection and his glory and his beauty and he exchanged it for our filthy rags, so that those of us who are completely unrighteous could become the righteousness of God. And Lord, those of us that, that have come to you by faith uh, at least understand the outer edges of this and how profound a gift has been given so that we could have life. Father, as we consider generosity, we pray that we would understand we're considering it in the context of your generosity to us. We're not being put upon, 
We're not being asked to give where others haven't. We're being invited into your generosity. So Lord, I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds. We live in a culture that is so based on what we consume and what we get. Lord, this is, this is and can be quite a struggle for us. My words aren't going to make any difference at all. But Father, I know you want to grow generosity in me and in everybody in this room. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our sermon and sentence this morning is actually a question. Uh, Based on the the four verses that we just read, you probably saw a little bit of a theme uh, in those four verses. There was a negative comment, but there was also a positive comment. And so I, I formed my question around the positive comments in each four of those verses. Why does God speak so highly of those who live generous lives. What's, what's behind that? God could speak highly of any number of things, but, uh, and I've only given you four verses, there are literally dozens and dozens, uh, probably well over 100 verses in the book of Proverbs that have this kind of message. If you kind of take that out and extrapolate it to all of Scripture, there's probably several hundred verses that speak in a very positive way about what happens when people get the generosity of God and begin to share it with others. So I've only picked four verses. There are literally hundreds we could look at. Why does God highlight this? What is his interest? Well, again, one observation from each of these four verses. The first is this. Generosity makes us look like our daddy, right? So in um, taking back to Genesis chapter 1, for just a minute before we come back to Proverbs. And uh, I want to ask the question in the context of creation, uh, what does God do uh, that would make us think that he is generous? So first of all, we need to remember that we're made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God's not physical, he's spiritual. So he's not talking about our physical makeup. He's talking about the character and the quality of our lives. He's talking about our souls. He's talking about our intellect. He's talking about our emotions. Those should reflect the image of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So the notion here is that God created uh, our first parents to reflect his character and reflect his nature. Now, this is not odd. Uh, if you have children, uh, somebody might come up to you and say, boy, your, your little girl sure has your eyes. And they might say, boy, your, your little boy sure has your personality. You notice things that are common in a family, right? And that's nothing odd about that. Uh, our son, Nathan, looks a lot like his grandfather, Alan, Cindy's dad. You look at a picture of, of Alan when he was about 25, and look at Nate back when he was 25, and you kind of feel like you're almost looking at the same person. Uh, I came in uh, the other day, coming home from our retreat, and I walked in the door, and our little grandson, Cole, is now walking. He's about 18, 19 months. He's kind of running around the house, but I noticed that he was singing a song as he was walking around the house, which is interesting because he doesn't use any words yet. Uh, but he was singing. He, all, he has three older sisters, and they do all of his talking for him. So <laughs> at some point, he'll start speaking. It'll be great. Uh, but he's walking around the house, and he's singing, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. But he doesn't know the words. But, huh, 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 huh. And he's just got a big old smile on his face. And it sounded a whole lot better than I just did it. And, and it actually made me stop and look at him and like stand back for a minute. And he kept going. And what shocked me was he was on perfect pitch. He was singing it like it should be sung. 
And I thought to myself, where on earth did he get that? And then I remembered his daddy, Nathan, has a very good voice. Only person in our whole family. We got no idea where it came from, right? He doesn't look like his daddy in that respect. But Cole takes after his papa. He's got that voice. This is not unusual to us that God would say, my creation, the highest point of my creation, humanity's going like, to look like me. So the question is, if that's the case, if we bear some of God's image in our life, is part of that generosity? Is God, in fact, a generous God? Well, we stay in Genesis chapter 1. A few verses later, it says God blessed them, and God said to them, God said to, to the man and the woman, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given to you every green plant for food. And it was so. You see what God is doing there? He's giving. He's being generous. He basically has said, I, I, I've saved the best for last. Everything that I've put together, it's all meant for you. This is like Christmas morning on quadruple steroids, right? And if you go on to read in chapter two, what you see is God saying to Adam and Eve, now I'm gonna put you in the best spot on earth. I, I, I've created a garden that is like no other garden that ever was or will be, and I did it just for you because I want you to have it. And I want you to go live there and I want you to work it and do, you know, fix it up any way you want to. Let your creativity run wild. But I wanted to give you this gift. God, our God, is a generous, generous God. Therefore, if I am going to reflect his character, part of my life, my generosity, simply mirrors the generosity of my heavenly father. And so we come to Proverbs verse 14 31, and it says, whoever oppresses a poor man, what does what? Insults his maker. What, what Solomon is saying there is, is, is if I choose to use the power and authority I have to actually just get more for me at the expense of other people, what I'm saying to God is, I don't want to look like you. I don't want to be anything like you, right? Now, those of us that grew up in the 60s uh, and into the 70s, maybe have some regrets in our life about saying something like that to our parents. You know, back when, when, when the hippie thing was going and we had every answer under the sun, you might remember a time when you said to your father or your mother, I don't want to be a thing like you. And my guess is if you're like me, you wish, A, you had never said that, and B, you wish you could take it back. Now, I understand there are exceptions. I understand there are bad parents out there. But most of us have grown to realize that we weren't quite as smart as we thought we were. But the notion of not wanting to be like God, when you oppress the poor, you insult his character. You say, God, there's something flawed with you. I've chosen a better pathway. However, he who is generous to the, to the needy does what? Honors God. It, it, it ends up being a compliment. What I'm saying, God, is, is you're right. And I want to be more like you. I want to honor you in my, in my life. Oscar Wilde uh, said this, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. Now, think about that for just a second. 
it, it, it's not so much a compliment, but you know what? My generosity at the very highest peak it's ever going to get is going to be mediocre compared to the generosity of God. But I can, I can pay God the compliment of saying, Daddy, I want to be like you. I want that generosity to live in my heart. Generosity helps us look like our daddy. Secondly, generosity breeds generosity. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. This is not a, a, a get-rich scheme. This is not a Ponzi scheme. This is simply saying that if you are learning the generosity of God and you're applying it to your life, God is going to give you more and more opportunities. He's going to bless you with even greater opportunity to be even more generous. That doesn't necessarily mean it's financial, although it could be, but it could be generosity on a lot of different levels. But the notion here is that as I begin to understand that generosity is something that God wants to grow in my life, and I begin to kind of pay attention to that, what God does, because he's already way ahead of me in the process, his intention is already that I would grow in generosity. What happens is he begins to nurture that in me. He begins to nurture that in you. He begins to, to say, yeah, let's do some more of that. A part of the way he nurtures that is he, he supplies what we need in order to continue to follow him into generosity. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He makes it very, very clear. Let's go to that slide if you would, please. Embarrassing pause. That's okay. Talk amongst yourselves. When it gets quiet, everybody gets really nervous, right? I think it's funny. I, just, I enjoy quiet because I kind of like to then watch you guys are kind of like, what? What's going on? Is he going to say something? Right? And God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in getting stuff for yourself. No, for every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing what? the harvest of your righteousness, the harvest of your reflecting your father, of looking like your daddy. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. God's intention, as we begin to get it, as it begins to sink down into our soul, is to just feed it more. Just, just make it more and more a part of our lives. Why is that? Because God knows that generosity is good for our souls. And he wants what's best for his children. Uh, I remember when I, when I uh, began taking up golf, how much I loved and still do love golf. Not that I'm very good at it at all, because uh, I'm not, but I love being outside. And I love being outside with a handful of friends. And I love having, you know, kind of three or four uninterrupted hours of just kind of enjoying creation and enjoying the creativity of, uh, it astounds me, a person who can look at a piece of ground and go, I'm going to build a golf course here, and then you get to go enjoy it. I, I don't have that, that, that part, doesn't work in my mind, but I love uh, taking advantage of that. So when my kids were little, I introduced them, every one of them, to the game of golf. My introduction to golf with Katie lasted for about three and a half minutes, and she decided that she would go a different direction. So we found other things to love and enjoy together. But both my boys fell in love with golf. And I'd take it with me when I played. I wouldn't let them, you know, slow down play, but I'd give them a putter and let them hit a couple putts on the, on the green. And then we'd go in the backyard and I'd start to teach them how to play a little bit. And I'd get them some lessons from people that actually knew how to teach people how to play golf. And, and we broke some windows along the way and we, we dented a few things we shouldn't have. But now they love it. And now they're, they're so much better than me. It, it's really, I'm angry with them, actually. But I'm going to be honest about it. They beat me like a drum. Um, 
But I love the fact that, that as, as they got into it, it was something that we could enjoy together. And I know it's going to provide a lifetime for them of, of, of enjoyment. And now Nathan, who has kids, uh, is starting to teach his children that. And I, you know why that makes me so excited? Because I want good things for my kids. You know, and God wants so much better than golf for us, right? But God, his character is that he wants good things for his children. And that's why generosity breeds generosity. Thirdly, generosity protects me from me. Look at verse uh, 21 of chapter 14. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, right? Whoever doesn't care about his neighbor, whoever's stingy with his neighbor, if his neighbor's in need, if, you're, if you are negative towards your neighbor, you are, you are guilty. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. I need protection from myself. I'm going to give you a theological term this morning. It's Reformation Sunday. It's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So I'm going to give you a term this morning uh, that some of you already know, but it might be new to some of you. The term is total depravity. And those two words together, total depravity, speak to the condition of the human heart apart from the saving relationship we have with God. So before you were a disciple of Jesus, before I was a disciple of Jesus, because of sin, our nature was totally depraved. And that means not that we're as bad as we possibly could be, but that every nook and cranny of our life is impacted by sin. So the way I think is stained by sin. The way I act is stained by sin. The words that come out of my mouth are stained by sin. There's no portion of my life. I can't say, well, I sin over here, but I'm perfect over here. No, every corner of my life is impacted and affected in a negative way by my sinful nature. That's called total depravity. There's nothing outside of that. Every aspect of our lives is stained in some way by sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means that my, my life, my sin results mostly in me thinking about me and none of you, right? First and foremost, the guy I'm most concerned with, the person that I want to have the very best life on the, on the planet, if, if I think about winning the lottery, my next thought isn't, I'm gonna give Anthony Luster half of that because I want him to have a great life. I, I'm, I apologize, I'm sorry, right? It's not. My first thought is, well, yeah, I'll give some of that away, but boy, what are all the stuff that I'm going to do for me, right? That's sin. Sin makes me focused on me. Sin makes you focused on you. And brothers and sisters, that's a really bad thing. It has really bad, bad outcomes because we end up hurting one another, sometimes individually in our families and our workplaces, and sometimes locally uh, in groups, and sometimes nationally with wars. But the outcome of sin is my selfishness. It's my self-centeredness. It's my uncaring spirit about others. I mean, I, I appreciate Brian Roskin saying, you know, kind of thank you to Green Tree in that video, but the facts are, apart from Christ, what do I care about the people in St. Charles? What do I care about their eternal destiny? Apart from Christ, I have no interest in that whatsoever. It's kind of every person for themselves, all the best to you, but I'm not going to lift a finger and I'm not going to spend a penny. It is only because of the generous grace of God that the Lord changes our hearts and our minds and he protects us from ourselves and he moves us in a new direction. Like Pablo Picasso said, protect me from what I want. What a great statement. Protect me from what I want. He, even Picasso understood that, that he wanted, there was something flawed in him, that, that he wanted the wrong thing. So giving me help, giving me, giving me a heart of generosity protects me from me. Why? Because it reminds me 
that God has been generous to me. This is not an exactly perfect verse in this, in this point, but I think it's a, a good one. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In other words, the more you know you need help, and the more you experience the help that God gives you, the more you're inclined to want to share that with others. And that's good because it ends up protecting me from my sinful nature and moving me into a new life through the power of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, a life that produces generosity within me. My fourth observation is that generosity not only makes us look like our daddy and breeds other generosity and protects me from me, but generosity displays a spiritual self-awareness. Look at uh, Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Look at that first part of that verse carefully. He who is generous to the poor, right, lends to the Lord. So let's just be silly for just a second. What if Jesus came in, sorry, my voice is a little scratchy. What if Jesus came in this morning and, uh, and stopped by you and tapped you on the shoulder and said, I left heaven without my wallet, right? I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I know it's a little silly. We said, and I, and I told a couple people I would take them to lunch and, and I, I forgot my wallet. Could you lend me a couple bucks, right? What are you gonna do? If the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords ask you for a couple dollars, or you know, uh, I'm a little tight this week, Jesus. I don't, let me, uh, oh, Tim Crawley, could you give you, you know, I'll, I'll grab a friend. Okay, would you? No, I'm going to reach in my wallet, right? And, I, and I'm going to say, do you want, do you want the, you want the debit card? You want the credit card, or do you want the cash? Yeah, and I, I've, I've got, I've, I've got a ten and two. I got fifty bucks. What, what? That's what I'm going to do, right? I'm not going to say, well, Jesus, I'll give you twenty of the of the 50. And by the way, can you give me 10 back, right? Y'all can just get a couple happy meals and you'll be okay over there at McDonald's. No, I'm not going to say that. That's the height of absurdity. Why? Notice I'm not handing this out to y'all. Um, <laughs> that's the height of absurdity because Jesus gave everything for me. What Solomon is, is actually predicting the coming of Jesus in these words. And, and he's reminding us that, that Jesus has lent himself to us that we're actually the poor. We're the ones that can't save ourselves. We're the ones that can't help ourselves. So we need someone to be generous with us. And I want to go back to 2 Corinthians for just a second because Paul puts this beautifully. This is a, if, if, if you like to memorize verses, even if you're not very good at it, this is a great verse to memorize. I love this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, Paul says. So he's talking to disciples. He's talking to people who have come to Christ by faith. And he says, you know it, you get it. What? That though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. The poverty of Jesus Christ is demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ when he gave everything so that you could have new life, so that I could have new life. And when you become spiritually aware of that, when, when you begin to understand that, when you get it, that Proverbs is saying, you know what God has done for you, so respond accordingly. Spiritual maturity says, amen. Amen. Let me have more of that. Because we begin to understand and we begin to grasp that generosity is simply joining Jesus in the activity of grace. Because I know how much grace has been gen generously given to me. So how do we apply this foundation this morning? What are, what are some takeaways that, that we could, uh, that we could 
think about as we leave this morning. Uh, and I'm going to end with kind of a, a goofy one, but I think we could actually mess with some people and have some fun. Uh, but the first is this. I need to pray. I need, I need to pray for me, right? I need to pray that I would be a person of generosity. You need to pray for you, right? Right? So we ought to pray for ourselves. And then we ought to pray for one another. You should pray that the pastor and the pastors and the folks of, of Green Tree don't uh, embarrass God when it comes to the notion of generosity, that we would live generous lives. And then we need to pray for all of our brothers and sisters, not just the Green Tree Community Church, but that the disciples of Jesus worldwide would be a people of generosity. And that begins with prayer, it begins with asking our Father to give us that good gift. Secondly, just a little bit of practice. Think about this week. Uh, what are the opportunities that will come your way where you can maybe practice a little more generosity than you did last week? If you're not sure how to do that, go take your teller card and, and go to your bank and grab two $5 bills and look for somebody that looks hungry and give them a $5 bill. Just begin the practice of generosity. I remember a few years ago when I said, Lord, I'm just, I've kind of gotten in my little Christian bubble and I'm not talking to non-Christians as much as I want to. Would you please bring people across my path who, who don't know you and are, would be open to the conversation? And I just, I started praying that every morning. But you know what I did when I prayed that? I started actually walking around my eyes open and my ears open, listening for the opportunity to have those conversations. And you're going to be shocked to hear this. I had conversation after conversation after conversation with people about Jesus. I didn't lead everybody to Jesus. A lot of people said, thank you very much. See you later. Appreciate the cup of coffee. But you know what? Some folks said that I, I want to know more about knowing Jesus. So practicing a little bit, just saying, Lord, just give me some practice in generosity. And thirdly, promote generosity among the people of God. Talk about it. It really makes me sad that these church planters feel like it's the last topic they want to bring up because people are uncomfortable talking about generosity. How is that possible? How can that exist in the kingdom of God when the only reason we're in is because of the generosity of God? How could it be that a brother or sister in Christ who's been called by God to go and start a new work and say, I just, the people I don't want to talk to, I'm afraid to talk to are Christians because they'll, they'll turn me down right? Now, I know there's some flaw in their thinking. I'm not laying it all on us. Part of it is they just haven't had enough experience in life yet. But it ought to be almost the, the, the first generation of church planters ought to be saying the second generation, which I've begun to say, y'all are out of your minds. Give God a chance. Trust him. Don't be afraid to go and talk with folks. You'd be surprised to see how generous the people of God are. So here's what I want to do. I actually want to really mess with the EPC church planters' minds. So if you want to help me with this, uh, you can get in for five bucks. You can get in for 5,000 if you want, but you can have as little as a couple bucks and play this game. If you're interested, email me this week and I will send you the contact information of a church planter in the EPC that I know is afraid to, to, to talk to folks. And you can send them $5, you can send them $20, you can send them 100 you can send them 5000 I don't care. But just tell them this, God told me this week to encourage you to trust him in giving uh, in, in, in financial support for your church. And don't sign your name to it. And they're going to start to freak out. And I'm going to start to get emails going, you're not going to believe what happened. And I'm going to say, no, I, I, tell me all about it. Oh my goodness, how did that happen, right? Because, I mean, we're chuckling, but that's the part of why we're here this morning is because God wants us, maybe not with the church minders, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, that's okay. But God wants us all to be more generous. He wants us to reflect the glory of his son, our Lord Jesus. 
He wants us to look like our daddy. He wants to, to breed generosity in us because in a sense, he, he wants to protect us from our own selfishness. He wants to give us a spiritual awareness that moves us more and more into his grace and his compassion and his kindness. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for what it teaches us. Father, I thank you that um, you are at work in our hearts and our lives. I, I thank you that I, uh, I feel comfortable talking to the spiritual family about generosity because I, I see evidence of it already. I think of the, the five little preschool students that are in school this fall uh, because of the generosity you've created here at Green Tree. I think of the thousand or so people that were here Thursday night experiencing hospitality because you've created uh, a spirit of hospitality here, Lord. And we have a long way to go. We make mistakes. We fall short. We don't love you the way we should. We don't love one another as well as we could. There's more that we can be doing. But Father, I thank you that you have planted those seeds and that you're watering those seeds in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray for more of that. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are struggling with selfishness. They're, they're captured in, in just thinking mostly about themselves. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would break down those fears and you would allow them to see that they can trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would protect us against self-righteousness. I pray that we would never be a church that takes credit for generosity, but that we would be a spiritual family that when somebody says, thank you, we say, praise God. <laughs> because that's what God's doing in our hearts and we can't help but share it with others. Lord Jesus, all of this is so that, that we would begin to look like you. And that our lives would be lives, not a feeling like we have to work hard and give to the church or give to the poor so that you'll love us, but that, that it's a way for us to express thanks and gratitude for the un unsearchable riches of grace that you have given to us through, your, through your, your death on the cross, your resurrection, so that we could be recipients of your generosity. So Lord Jesus, grow us, we pray in your name. Amen.